sort of influenced because the Stones decided they had to start writing songs because the Beatles, had, you know, it was a whole new thing to write your own songs. No one had ever done it. So we started giving it a go, you know, and we clicked it. We clicked straight away. You'd just strum something or play a riff and I'd just sing anything above it. And, and that's, you know, if I was to write a song tomorrow, that would still be the way I do it. There's no, you know, there's no, uh, no other way of doing it as far as I know. It must be fascinating though, the first time you sit down and go, right, we're going to write a song now. No, it was horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was like being, you know, I've always said to me, songwriting's like being at school because you've got a lot of brain work to put in there, you know. Yeah. The, the great part is, is when you, when you hear it on the radio or you, you, you hear your song on the television when you're performing it, that's, the, that's when you know your baby's been born. Mm. It's a wonderful experience. And it must be even better when an audience sings it back at you. Oh yeah, that's... Uh, there's no drug in the world to give you that high to be in front of 10 or 20 or however many thousands of people and you stop and they just all start singing it back to you. You know, I like to think that uh, with the faces, we were the first ones to ever start doing that. When Maggie May came out, you were surprised at its success, weren't you? Yeah, because it was, uh, there was only like nine or 10 tracks on that. Every picture tells a story and that was the, the track that nearly didn't make the album. They just threw it on at last minute. They said, well, it hasn't got a sing-along chorus. You know, no one's gonna, oh, let's just stick it on anyway. So, and that became the big hit. What was it like for you? Uh, you know, you've been playing for a long time. You've been in various bands, including The Faces. And then suddenly all around the world, this was a number one hit. What was that? Uh, tremendous. I think it probably, you know, the most pleasure I got out of it was I saw in my mum and dad's eyes at the time, you know, they, they were so proud of me because they, they never once told me when I was a struggling musician, go and get a job or you're never going to make it. They, they believed in me. So I think that was probably the biggest pleasure of, you know, the look in their eyes. I remember it to this day. After Maggie May, you had an incredibly successful decade, the 70s, and mm -hmm. I, the Guinness Book of Records actually listed you as the most successful singles artist of that mm -hmm. decade. But by the end of the decade, punk came along, mm -hmm. and uh, the punk people declared you as a, as a boring old fart. Mm. They were quite right. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to go from being deeply cool to deeply uncool? Uh, only, I think only with them. I think my fans have always you know, been amazingly loyal, but... Um, from their standpoint, they're right. I think the likes of me and Elton and Bowie and the likes, we all needed to kick up the arse, you know, and, and they gave it to us. I mean, maybe we were coming at a, becoming a little bit complacent. Mm. At the time punk was happening, you were sort of going disco and... A uh, little bit later. A little bit later. The punk thing was like 75, yeah. 76, 77, and then I did do a big bandwagon jumping. I did disco. <laughs> forgot about that one. Something you wouldn't bring that up. Well, I was going to refer to it as the spandex years, actually. Yeah, the old spandex yeah. years. What a pair of legs I had in those days. <laughs> they were good legs. You said you were a hero. One on each side. <laughs> you said you were a hero for some of the stuff you wore. What are some of the outfits you remember? Oh, I think the most bizarre one was with the with the faces where I used to put, you know, there's feather boas. Yeah. I used to wear three around my waist, <laughs> red, yellow, any colours, but I always wore three. I mean, it looked like a ballerina's tutu, but I got away with it. I think I got away with it. And then I had the spandex cutaway, which just showed two nipples. My kids look at these pictures now and they're, Dad, how could you do it? But you look back on what you wore and it all seemed okay at the time. It's only in retrospect you look and you go, oh my God, what was I doing, you know? You've described uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy, you said of it, that was the song that put the spanner in the works. In what way? Uh, 
For the for the critics, I suppose, I think it was just the... Uh, and also, you know, f four years previous, I just, you know, moved from Great Britain to to Hollywood, you know, become a tax exile, that pissed them off. And I think, you know, do you think I'm sexy really pissed them off? So I, the critics really hated me after that. With uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy, you donated the royalties for that to UNICEF. Why was that? Um... I don't know why, I think it had something to do, because I nicked the song, you know, I nicked it from, a, from, I was on holiday in Brazil, and I subconsciously came back with this song in my head, and this is honest truth, yeah. and it was a song that I'd heard at the carnival in Brazil, it went, and I came back a year later and turned it into a song, and I think we'd, we'd already given the royalties away to UNICEF, because I did a show at the United Nations, I thought it was a good idea, and then I got sued, and I had to give the guy the B-side of the next two singles. So it was pretty complicated, but... Uh... A lot of people, though, wouldn't say...